We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, I've got Mary Bond with me. Now, I ran into Mary Bond, oddly enough, on the internet. I'm not sure how I got on her mailing list, but I'm glad that I did because she has some really interesting things to say about posture, the structure of the human body, how it all connects with our brain, and some seemingly simple things that we can do with our posture that affect our entire being. And that's going to be the scope of our conversation this evening, the bodywork aspect of Chinese medicine, even though Mary doesn't do Chinese medicine, her work completely falls within our ballywhack here. Now, for those of you that have listened to the show before, you'll know that this is fine content to listen to while you're driving, doing the dishes, doing other things in your life. This show is really not appropriate for listening to if you're driving a car, if you're in some way distracted. This show is really best listened to if you have some time to give yourself some space to really go inside with some of the things that Mary has to talk with us about today. So all that being said, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I'm very pleased to be with you and have this opportunity to to talk to people about what I do and what I think and what I think they should do and think. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are and, and what it is that you want to be bossy and tell us all about what we should be doing. Okay. Well, I was a dancer and I have a degree in choreography, which was, since I don't have a great talent, was totally useless And so I was fortunate enough to cross paths with a woman named Ida Rolf. Some people may have heard of this person's work. She developed something called structural integration, which was a manual therapy. It is a manual therapy that addresses the body's relationship to gravity. So it looks at the structure of the human body as a plastic kind of architecture that's movable, changeable. And at the time that I met her, she wasn't very eager to train women, but she thought it would be okay if the women did some sort of movement adjunct to the manual therapy. And so that was the direction I went in. And I, you know, I never really studied with her because I wanted to learn to do the body work. You know, my parents would have been horrified if they knew I was touching people for a living. That was the, <laughs> that was the era I grew up in. Right. But movement just has always fascinated me. And Ida Rolf said things about the body and about movement that my dance teachers had been saying, only Ida framed it in terms of physics 
and physiology. And it, it just, it pushed all my buttons and I just became a follower. Mm-hmm. And uh, many years passed. She passed away in the late 70s. And I did other things for a while as well. And then when I came back to Rolfing, it was in the mid-80s. And it had changed a great deal. Many people have heard about this work. It's nicknamed Rolfing after Ida Rolf. Sure. I think a lot of people have heard of it. I mean, it's one of the first real hands-on therapies that really would dig in and, and work on the musculature and the fascia and, and uh, all these ways that our body's put together. Exactly. But that's the thing, is that most people have heard about it as something that involves being dug into. And in fact, that's actually poor rolfing if you have to dig in and push hard and sort of iron out the fascia. There's much more to this work than is commonly understood. Um, There's a whole philosophy about being and doing and about being present in your body and on the planet and being present with other people. And the soft tissue work is just a means. It's not the whole story of this work. And in the 90s, a movement teacher joined our ranks and he was he's from France and he brought in a whole new perspective on the perceptual way that our bodies are organized. So what that means is that your posture is determined by the moment before you move. How you feel, whether you feel safe, whether you feel adequate, whether you feel supported in that moment before you reach for a glass or before you kick your foot if you're in a, in a exercise class. Any gesture, any action that you do is organized by a moment of perceiving. Are you following me? Yes, I'm following. I'm sitting here in silence, drinking it in. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so so that was even more powerful to me. And so I studied with this man. His name is Hubert Godard. And he just brought a kind of genius to the understanding of what Rolfers are really doing. So what we're doing is helping people become embodied and present in the body. So when I was listening to a podcast of yours earlier today about sitting in meditation and feeling the various tensions in the body and becoming acquainted with oneself through meditation. I love that word, acquainted. Yeah. (laughs) Rolfing actually facilitates that. In the same way that yoga poses facilitate the ability to sit, so does Rolfing. So my website and the work that I've been doing in a more kind of public sphere is because I... First of all, I wrote a book and then I did a DVD, you know, I just, but these things were motivated by a desire to share the sort of deeper message of Ida Rolf's work with more people than will ever be able to have the body work. Right. You know, there won't be a golfer in their area or it will be too expensive or whatever. They're not inclined. And I don't think it's for everybody anyway. But the ideas and the teachings are desperately needed in this crazy world where everything has to happen yesterday, do you know? Yeah. Can you tell us, I'm, I'm really struck here, mentioning this, like you say, this crazy world where everything has to be done yesterday. And what you said just a few moments ago about the presence that happens before the movement. Yeah. Well, that basically we are present on the planet. We are in relationship to gravity all the time, but most of the time we don't feel it or acknowledge it or we resist it. Sure, it's the, it's the water we swim in like a fish. Yeah. 
And we we resisted in that we feel we have to hold ourselves together rather than trusting the ground to hold us up. So that's an actual perceptual shift that people begin to make in in being able to stand and feel that the ground is coming up to meet them and it's there for them and they are safe. Powerful. It's very powerful and for many of us it's very scary. You mean I could actually trust? You know, what do I have to let go of in my belief system to just allow this sensation of being supported by the ground to be okay? And what do I have to let go of in the holdings of my body attempting to resist yes. this ground actually rising up to support me? That's a, that's a completely different perceptual shift from how I tend to think about gravity, which is I'm constantly fighting against it. Yeah. No, Ida Rolf said gravity was the therapist. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about that. Well, I, I think I was just talking about it in a way, in that allowing myself to be supported means letting go of all the reasons why I think I have to support myself or hold myself together or defend myself. And all those things, those defenses that, that are physical, whether they're defenses from actual physical blows or interactions or defenses from harsh words or accidents or just, you know, cultural cruelty. Mm. <laughs> you know, all those defenses are physical and they become postures. So they become a kind of frozen moment in time before we move. So instead of the body, the body and the being being able to just be neutral and responsive to the moment that's coming, we have all these other moments built up in our bodies and formed into a postural shape that prevents us from being totally present to this moment here. I have a lot of experience with that. Yeah, we all do. I've had moments, sometimes spontaneously they come out of nowhere, Sometimes because maybe I've taken a class and my perception has shifted and my posture has shifted, where there is this interesting neutral where anything could go anywhere and all that is perfectly fine because the moment will actually call it forth. Yeah, exactly. And so what the Rolfing teaching or the Rolfing awareness does is give people resources to access that or to practice accessing that so that it isn't just an accident now and then that you get lucky. It's an intentional practice. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me, it is. Well, I think these kinds of things, especially when we're first learning them, uh, there has to be an element of intentionality and an element of, of bringing some awareness to places where there's not awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm really struck here with what you're talking about, that so much of it can come from movement. Yeah, well, that's the next piece. It, it's like gravity tells you you're here on planet Earth. But the other part, uh, the other perception, the other sort of basic perception that organizes our bodies and our our presences, is the ability to move through space. So each of us has a kind of kinetic sphere around our bodies, or the neuroscientists call it a peripersonal space. But you could just imagine it as a sphere of of energy around you. And you could reach or kick or punch or slash or drift in any direction, 360 degrees in all dimensions. Except that we can't because we've lost certain vectors. Certain things have happened to us 
in our experience that have cut us off from certain directionalities. So we lack the support of space in, in those arenas around the body. So that's another piece of the, the Rolfing instruction is to begin to feel that movement is possible from anywhere in went from anywhere within or without your body. This is really powerful. I'm thinking, well, really of, of some patients that I've seen recently in my clinic, chronic pain, uh, areas where there's a real lack of mobility and, and just hearing what you're talking about, even considering the possibility that, well, there could be movement where there currently isn't movement, that there's areas that have been shut down. But I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that doesn't take away that there is a possibility of that movement returning. Yeah. What we want is to be able to restore as, as much as possible the movement that is our birthright, you know. So let's, let's take an example of breathing, mm. Yeah, that, that's great. That, I mean, breathing is pretty much the essential movement that we all do every day. Pretty essential. So one of the ways that I teach about breathing is, well, I teach about what the diaphragm does. It's a muscle. It moves down and up. And I teach about the rib cage. The rib cage are like Venetian blinds that tip open and close with the breath. But what I want to talk about at the moment is the movement of the spine with inhalation and exhalation, which you're doing to the degree that your body is adaptable and flexible, but you don't feel it. You don't, you don't know that. And the movement that the spine does, I'll just use an analogy of a chest of drawers, mm. So picture the vertebrae of the spine from the sacrum up through the cervicals as a very long, tall, skinny chest of little drawers. And the drawers open forward toward the front of the body. So the bodies of the vertebrae are like the, the, drawer, the drawer spaces. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So when... When we breathe in, each one of those drawers, 24 of them, right, or something, okay, they slide open a tiny bit. They slide, think of them sliding forward on the inhalation, and on the exhalation, they slide back a little. And it's not about doing a back bend or a forward bend. It's just about picturing this little tiny movement of each vertebrae sliding forward, just an iota. And when that happens, as, the, as you inhale, mm-hmm. and when you do that, the whole spine lengthens. I think you can feel it. Yeah. If, you're, if you and your, and your listeners are sitting in a way that the pelvis can be uh, upright, not leaning back, if you're leaning back in a slouch position this you won't be able to feel this but if you're sitting really upright then on the inhalation it's like all the little vertebrae just slide forward the tiniest bit and that facilitates the movement of the the diaphragm descending and the ribs elevating that lengthening of the spine so on the exhalation, you just return to your normal state, whatever it is. The, the reality is that not all of us have 24 vertebrae that equally do that. We have places we have guarded and blocked from that tiny movement. I've noticed this myself. I'm sitting here doing this as we're having this conversation. And surprised at some of them moving really easily and some others, it's yeah. like a blank space. 
That's right. That's right. So you could imagine, like each those drawers are kind of a metaphor for the vectors of the spine. Each spine should be able to have that vector moving forward and back, and and rotating too. You know, but right now we're just talking about forward and back because we're sitting and breathing and not doing anything more complex. Mm-hmm. But we have places where our posture, our experience, has put a kind of um, seal across the fronts, the anterior surfaces of those vertebrae. You know, some kind of usually emotional or experiential holding pattern that says that, that we've, we have experienced in the past that Keeping that place still keeps us safe. But in fact, that stillness prevents us from really optimizing our, our ability to use space, spatial, our spatial uh, arena for action and expression and support. Yeah, I'm, I'm just list, I'm entranced. Just listening and following and noticing what I feel in my body mm-hmm. and noticing the spaces that they're like fuzzy or I just don't, I mean, I literally, yeah, I just don't have access to it. It's, it's like my brain doesn't see it. But you've, you've, you see the shadows and that's the beginning of being able to feel something new is noticing what you don't feel, mm. you know, noticing, yes. you know, you know that from your work, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, the shadows, the things that, sometimes the things unsaid, sometimes the things unnoticed, have great capacity to help us and heal us. That's right. And uh, one of your other podcasts, I, forget, I think it was yours, there was talking about time and how it takes time. Yes, the, the man who was talking about changing his diet and losing weight and allowing it to take as long as it takes. And what I do is like that as well. You know, um, there's no, it, it's about being interested in this path to self-knowledge and Believing that that's of use to oneself and being willing to pursue it in a patient and persistent way. Yeah. But it's not going to fix your posture overnight, you know? <laughs> it's not. Well, you know, we've got, this, we've got this funny thing here in America that everything is supposed to be overnight or instant or in 30 seconds. It's like we want it right now. But, you know, the other way of thinking about now is just like we've been talking about here in the past few minutes, as, as your voice so, so easily leads me into, just a sense of presence with now mm-hmm. and what's actually there. Yes, I, and I think the way things are going, you know, with uh, I was listening to somebody talk last night about the death of journalism, real journalism, real news. News is now basically headlines. Um, People read on the internet and they spend approximately four and a half minutes looking at whatever news media they're interested in. Four and a half minutes, you know what? (laughs) We used to spend hours with a newspaper or a magazine. You know, so the, the, the brains of people are changing, I think, because of this wonderful Internet that allows you and me to have this conversation and share it with others. That's great. And the downside is that we can Google anything and find just a snippet of information and, you know, kid ourselves that we're satisfied with that. And it, it sets up a, a habit pattern of instant gratification that I think it, it, it will lead us to no good. So we need these practices, however, you know, whatever path one takes, I think 
we need to promote practices that allow people to become more quiet and centered within themselves for at least part of the day. I would agree. I mean, I, I start my mornings these days by sitting. It's mm-hmm. just something I stumbled into a few years ago. And thinking about leaving the house without some meditation would be like leaving the house without brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it just is helpful yeah. in certain ways. And what we've just been talking about, which you just shared with us, about breathing and noticing our each individual vertebrae as this drawer that, that moves slightly with the breath, um, I could very easily imagine sitting on my cushion and really investigating that. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Can I give you another piece? I would love another piece. About that? Well, in the questions you sent me earlier, uh, you asked me about the tongue. What's the tongue got to do with it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I read something on your website about about that. And it, it, yeah, it caught my attention. I have several blogs about tongue tension. And so just as a general principle about the spine, when a drawer doesn't slide forward, it's because there's something just in front of it that prevents that, that movement from occurring or that impulse from occurring. So in the cervical area, in the cervical, the neck vertebrae, What's in front of the neck vertebrae are the jaw, the mouth, the tongue, the nose, and the eyes. So all these organs of perception are really very taxed these days. We're looking, looking, looking all the time. Mm. So our eyes are frozen in a sagittal forward plane, you know, looking at some device or other, and having to look and see something quickly so that narrows the gaze even more. So the eyes become very tense and hyper alert and that affects the very upper vertebrae of the neck. So relaxing the eyes and that's beyond closing them. You know, you can close them and they still are going bananas looking, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so really softening and relaxing the eyes could help your breathing by releasing the tiny muscles in the base, around the base of the skull that prevent adaptability in the upper cervical vertebrae. But that's an aside. I was going to talk about the tongue. (laughs) So the tongue... Uh, of course, connects down through the whole gut tube. The tongue isn't just an isolated organ. It, it connects to your esophagus and all the way down through your stomach and duodenum and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, all continuous tissue. So if there's tension in the tongue, there's tension internally. And I think many of us have either too much tension in the tongue or the tongue is too lax. And that affects the jaw, which then affects the neck, which then affects the breath. And the digestion. And the digestion. So Mm -hmm. tongue is a very big deal. And I like to teach that the tongue rests ever so lightly against the roof of the mouth. I know some disciplines teach that the tongue should rest in the floor of the mouth, and I used to think that, but I've since read some other material that makes me think, no, the tongue really goes 
to help support the maxilla, the roof of the mouth is the maxilla. Mm-hmm. And the maxilla, maxilla bone is the floor of the nose, or it, it helps form the floor of the nose. So when the tongue is very soft and very wide, then when you breathe, you could imagine the maxilla widening. So those back molars, uh, upper molars, just kind of widen apart a little bit, and the tongue is soft, and it also widens on the inhalation. And then on the exhalation, you could think about just the weight of your mandible or your lower jawbone, allowing gravity to support your mandible. So that's, uh, I call it maxilla mandible meditation. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like widen the, widen the maxilla on the inhalation, allow the mandible to descend on the exhalation. And during all of that, the tongue is just soft and so barely touching the roof of the mouth. You can hardly tell that you're touching. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating, Murray, because of the various Chinese disciplines that I've been party to, you know, in my time being an acupuncturist, I've studied some Taiji, I've studied some Qigong, and all of these disciplines talk exactly what you're ta- what you're saying right now that the tongue should rest lightly on the roof of the mouth this connects two of the major acupuncture channels together oh and fabulous when, and when those are connected together everything in the body flows more harmoniously so there's there's this other huge tradition thousands of years being passed down that are they're saying the same thing that you're saying here. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's of course, this everything old is new again, you know? There's a song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, another kind of interesting thing about this is that humans are nose breathers. We have to be in order to suckle. And there's an awful lot of people who are going around breathing through their mouth. Well, their, their, their sinuses are all clogged up. Exactly. And so if they can, you know, if there's really no, no reason not to breathe through their nose, they can be taught and they can practice. And that tongue support for nose breathing allows nose breathing to be easier for most people. So really some attention paid to the tongue, paid to that upper palate and, and noticing how it slightly expands and slightly contracts, I would think it would bring a whole lot more attention to how the bones in the head are actually moving all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if... You want to take just a minute and do that and then just check down through your drawers again and see if there's any, if the, the tongue softness and that breathing awareness makes any difference in the way the drawers down below move. So what I notice is this. The ones that were moving well move more. Mm-hmm. There's more there's more glide and they I can feel them come out more. The ones where I didn't have it they were like blind to me. I couldn't feel into it at all. Mm-hmm. It's more like there's a glimpse of something. I wouldn't say they're really moving yet. But there's there's something else going on there. Yeah, so basically how I look at this, there's an, there was an effect, let's just say that. And by uh, allowing the cervicals to move more appropriately, 
that allowed more space through the spine as a whole. It's, it's as if the atlanto-occipital joint could be a lid on the whole spine. The head is like, sometimes I picture it as like it's jamming down on the spine where there's so much tension in the head and the face. <laughs> it's like you've got this big ball up there that's just jamming down on the spine. So then when you try and breathe and feel something, there's not very much movement possible because it's blocked from up above. Mm-hmm. So that's just, uh, I don't like to teach or, or even indicate that exercise without doing something to draw attention to the face and the tendency that we all have to focus on something by concentrating the organs of the head and working them too hard. You know, so there could be eye tension or tongue tension or jaw tension while you're trying to feel the drawers move. And that would be defeating your purpose. Too much noise in the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and literally, biomechanically, reducing the amount of joint play that there would be in the spine. Mm-hmm. So would it be too much of a leap to say, for those of us that spend too much time at computers... We have these tight <laughs> necks, these tight shoulders, these mild, annoying headaches. A little bit of time set aside to notice our breathing, notice our tongue on the top of our mouth, notice our mm-hmm. vertebrae sliding in, sliding out, could help to soften this. Yeah, it could. Yeah. I think, you know, we think so much. You know, there's like entirely too much thinking going on <laughs> you know as we're you know waiting for the next mouth mouse click yes. you know yeah and i think that a lot of times we're forming words and our tongues are efforting because we're thinking i don't know if that's true for everybody but but i offer it as a possibility that you know one of an exercise i I um, cooked up for people is to to feel this release in the tongue and the the resultant kind of state that accompanies it. You know, there's a quieting that happens. And then try to do something with a deck of cards, you know, put all the aces together and all the twos as fast as you can, but without losing that equanimity. Mm. You know, just do some, practice some silly chore. But with that presence. Because, yeah, with that presence. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's, it's, the presence is too, it stays too separate. It stays in the yoga studio or it stays in your meditation pillow or, you know, and, 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 uh, right. And the goal is to bring this out in the world. Is to, yeah. If, I mean, if there is a goal. I mean, in some ways, I think having a goal gets in the way of things. But the intention of a practice yeah. is, is to bring it into life. Yeah, and, and into our, the way we are with other people. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm struck here, and I, I want to come back to this for just a moment. You were, you were talking about how our tongues get tight, and, and we've got all this thinking going on, and, and we already are forming words before we're even done with a thought, and it reminds me of listening and speaking, that so often in conversation, I find myself, when I'm not really listening, when I'm half listening, someone said something, and I'm already forming a reply before they've even stopped talking. I've missed probably most of what they've even got to say. And that, that takes life in the conversation down one particular direction. Then there's those other times, simply staying with the listening. What's this person really saying? Letting them finish speaking. Taking a moment. Digesting. And then having a reply. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very different process. And in listening... To you share this with us, 
about noticing the tongue and, and, and noticing the thought, for me, it, it brings me right back to listening. It's not necessarily listening to somebody else in this case, but listening to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely. Next time um, I get impatient with somebody who's telling me something that they've already told me five times. (laughs) 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 And I'm thinking of a particular friend. Uh (laughs) Um, I know in those moments where I'm like waiting for her to be done that my tongue is going crazy, Uh do you know? Well, I, you know, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to checking my own tongue as I'm being impatient next time. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really, uh, probably, I'm going to write a blog about it. <laughs> ah, great. <laughs> Inspiration's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, can I, can I come back to something that you said? Sure. Great. You use this term, supported by gravity. And I think you've used it a couple times in the conversation, but I heard it just a few minutes ago. And I just want to, like, take that term and just sit with it, supported by gravity. That seems so completely counterintuitive to everything I think I've been taught about gravity. Can you unpack that a bit for us or take us into a bit of an experience of this? Um, one of my colleagues has been using the word yield, well, actually, several, several of my colleagues, yield as, as a word that maybe doesn't work for everybody, but it, it seems to be better than surrender. Mm. Surrender has, has a certain context of, you know, putting your hands up and <laughs> giving up. Right, or going pause up completely. Yeah. Drop every bit of whatever motivation you might have had. Right. Yeah. But to yield is what a baby does against the mother's breast. Hmm. And that's the basic action of life. And before we yielded onto our mother, we yielded within her. So that, that yielding is the feeling of being supported by gravity, being supported by the mother, being supported by gravity is the same. But many of us had, have had issues with that experience. You know, it hasn't always been safe to yield. So we protect ourselves in various ways. We unyield and I, this man um, who talks about it so much, he, he's Japanese, and we asked him what is the translation in Japanese for yielding, and he said, leaves falling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I teach various things about that, but essentially, rolfing is... Or the body work or the movement work, which is what I do. I I teach Rolfing through perceptual and movement uh, lessons. I mean, when I'm, my blog is essentially Rolfing, even though I don't usually mention it. But the lessons that I'm trying to communicate are really about that. And that ability to yield and know oneself as being safe on the planet is is the basic movement of life. And then we move. And in order to move, we have to have an awareness of the space around us and, and to feel that we can go in any direction, in any, energe- in any energetic way that we want to. Mm. Go in any direction. I, I hear you say that, and it immediately brings up so many images of people that I see in my clinic where there's some kind of suffering going on. Obviously, that's why they walk in my door. And often the stories that I hear say something to that effect of, oh, I couldn't go there or I couldn't do that or that's not a possible direction. It's all over 
in the language. Yeah. It's everywhere. So sometimes it's an example might be the gesture of saying stop. You know, you have your, your palm forward and you push your hand away from your body. Mm-hmm. That's like classic, you know, old-fashioned cop, traffic cop saying stop. So many times I teach somebody that gesture to be able to do it without pushing their chest back as they push their hand forward. Okay? You can okay. kind of picture that. Oh, I, I, can, I, can, I can embody it. I yeah. can feel it. Or maybe I can say stop in the forward direction, but I can't make that gesture to the side or to the diagonal. So exploring that, you know, where, where is it safe to make that gesture? And how fast is it okay for me to make that gesture? And can the rest of my body be yielding and supported by gravity while I make that gesture? Or do I clutch my stomach and my pelvic floor in order to say stop? In which case, I'm only stopping myself. Right. Or do I cave my chest and move it backwards as my hand goes out? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So these these small gestures become ways of accessing that relationship to space. And accessing the space gives us all kinds of possibilities, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm <laughs> just thinking about, I, I, I taught a class not too long ago, and there was a, a little woman in it. She was tiny, tiny little woman. And somehow or another, I was teaching her, I was, I was demonstrating my sitting lesson. You know, I teach people to sit by rolling the pelvis forward, not sitting on the buttocks, but sitting on the tops of the thighs, basically. So when that happens, the, the pelvis is in an inclination where the spine is then uplifted if the body is adaptable enough. And it turned out this woman had had plenty of body work but wasn't very aware. So she was very shy. And at first I was nervous to work with her as a a model, you know, in the center of a circle of people. Mm -hmm. And then something happened where I just did it. I don't know why. And so when she brought her pelvis forward and I asked her, you know, to feel how her legs were, were touching the ground and how that was different from sitting back on the buttocks, where the, the feet sort of are light against the ground if you sit too far back in the pelvis. So you don't have as big a base of support. You're just supporting yourself on your bum. Mm-hmm. But when you roll the pelvis forward a bit and sit on the tops of the thighs, then the feet become engaged with the ground. You're basically supported with three points now. Yeah, exactly. So you have bigger base of support and so I asked her how she felt and I could see these wheels turn and she said powerful yeah and she for the rest of the class she kept swinging her arms out you know it's like something would happen and this woman's arms would go out in a big wide gesture you know as if as if she had never had the support to be able to be that expansive. And I just thought if that was, if that's the only thing that anybody learned in that workshop, I'm glad I went there. But that's how the, the yielding, you know, the yielding is the support then for the awareness of space and the ability to express oneself in space. We have such a forward-moving, go-go sort of society, this kind of receptivity that we're sharing together this evening, it's kind of like having a superpower. Yeah, but we all have it. Yeah. We just, we've forgotten it. I mean, maybe we have it even in spades more than millennia ago where people were, it was so hard to survive. I don't, I don't know. I I muse about these things a lot. I, I Originally, 
we were going to talk about feet, which sounds like we probably aren't because <laughs> we're running out of time. <laughs> you know, I think we're going to have to do a part two is what it comes down to. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I, just about feet. I was thinking about feet and what I could say on the radio, you know, without my my model, my anatomical model and all my toys and ways sure. that I do it. And And I just thought... You know, I was just standing there feeling the things I teach people about feet. And I thought, I bet that back in the day when those caves in France were painted, however many millennia ago that was, I bet feet were more like ears, like elephants' feet. It's said that elephants can, can communicate through their, their feet for miles and miles you know, they can talk to each other. And I bet we could read vibrations in some way that that we can't anymore because the feet are arches. Do you know they're they're receptacles? Anyway, that's a teaser for next time. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm you've totally got my attention on this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> nothing like leaving people with a cliffhanger, huh? <laughs> Mary, this has been a delightful bit of time that we've just spent together. I am so happy to have had you here on the show, and and I'm really just overjoyed that I'm going to be able to share this with my listeners here. It sounds like you've got plenty of information on your website and and your blog. So, yeah. And I'm going to put all of that on the show notes, and if you have some materials, some other materials that you'd like to share with the listeners – We'll put some links to it, or we'll put those materials on the show notes, too. But really quickly, why don't you give us your web address? So if people feel like they need to get over to your blog and learn more about tongues and feet, they can get there. <laughs> There's um, The web address is HealYourPosture.com. HealYourPosture.com. That sounds simple enough. Yeah, and then there's, you know, there's information about my book and my DVD, and I have a new online course about feet that's available, and it's, it's clear. If you go to the website, you'll see that. And then the blog is archived in the usual way, and many of those blog posts have video accompaniment to them. So, and I also have a YouTube channel, if you don't like to read and you only want to watch things, you could go to, um, it's called New Rules of Posture. Mm-hmm. New Rules of Posture on YouTube. Yeah. Great. Again, thank you so much for the, for the journey this evening. I am, I'm sitting differently. I'm breathing differently. I have an experience with my spine right now that I didn't have when we began this conversation. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm delighted. I had a great time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. Thank you.